Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. So Psalm chapter 3, a Psalm of David. Now, remember where we talked about last week, okay? In our introduction, we basically said that we spent a lot of time talking about what a heart devoted to God looks like. What a heart devoted, and we really took some time, so I just want to remind you, and here's what we learned. We learned that a heart devoted to God is a heart of prayer. It's a heart of prayer. Now, we got to remember that sometimes our prayers are not monologues where we just spout everything up to God and just say, this is what I want, this is what I want. Um, it, it really is, prayer is just really reaching out and talking to God and 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 communicating and and you're having a dialogue and a lot of times prayer can be guys as you pray you read his word and i know prayer can be you read you remind the lord of his word not that he forgot the lord look at your word this is it you forgot no no but it's like god here's what your word says so a heart devoted to god is is we have to develop our prayer life we have to pray to the lord now you remember faith our faith when we pray is to God. We're not just praying to empty chairs. Oh, Lord! We're not just praying to some spirit in the sky. We're praying to our Heavenly Father. And so a heart devoted to Him is a heart of prayer. And so what we have to do from time to time is take a step back and say, Lord, how's my prayer life? How's my prayer life? Does my prayer life consist of the 15 minutes that I get in the car and I drive to work? Oh, Lord! You go, well, Ben... I work from home, <laughs> so I don't even have that. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But how's your prayer life? Do you, do you really spend time? And I know, for me, it's a struggle. It's a struggle, and I have to get on my knees, and I have to be really focused, and you know exactly. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The moment you go to prayer, there's always an interruption. But we know a heart is devoted to prayer. We need to be a church devoted to prayer. I realize that we're stepping out and we're going to step on some toes and people are, oh, don't pray for me. Oh, I don't want to be the one praying. And I know it gets awkward. I've been in circles where people go, I don't want to pray. Don't test me. Don't count on me. And then it gets really quiet. It gets really quiet. Are we done? I don't know. Ten minutes is not up. It's only been one. But let's, let's be pushed out of our comfort zone. Let's just begin to allow the Spirit to pray. Not, Lord, what can we pray for? What can we pray for? Well, I'm not right. You're not right. I'm not. I need, I need my family. I need to pray. It doesn't have to be scripted. It doesn't have to be laid out. We can just come with our hearts. God. God. We learned that a heart devoted to God is a heart of confession. And maybe, and maybe that's what we need. Hey, I'm going to pull Pastor Sofa alone by my head. Listen, I need to confess this to you. I'm, I'm struggling in this area. Maybe you pull Yvonne or some other woman and say, Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. It's a heart of confession. Or maybe it's just you confessing to God. But see, a heart of confession is much, much more than just saying, God, I did this. God wants us to repent, to change, to turn from that. 
It's easy for us to say sorry when we do something wrong. Well, I'm sorry. Are you really sorry? Well, I'm supposed to say I'm sorry. That's how I said it. When I was a little boy, my dad hit me and said, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. I don't even know what it means. But really, a heart of confession is coming in and going, God, change my heart. Change my heart. I, I confess this to you, Lord. Lord, I, I entertain something today that I shouldn't have entertained. My attitude stinks, God. It's a heart of confession. A heart devoted to God. It's a heart of confession. The Bible says that we should confess our sins one to another. We don't do that because we don't want people to look at us and go, you did what? We also learned last week, guys, that a heart devoted to God was a heart of worship. A heart of worship. And see, worship encompasses all kinds of things. It's not just the music. Sometimes we think worship is the 15 to 20 minutes before church starts and, or right as church starts. And that's, that was worship. And I'll tell you what we do. We judge the worship. We judge the worship. We judge the music. Oh, it's all right. Oh, I don't know why he played that song. Boy, he was really off on that song. Blah, blah, blah. And we judge the worship and we forget who we're worshiping. We forget. And when I say that, I mean me too. Me too. You need to understand that in order to, quote, unquote, put on church, there's a lot of things that have to happen. Okay, we got to make sure this is done. we got to make sure that's done. And, and we get so busy that we forget the power of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do. And it should be a heart of worship. Guys, if we've been spending time in the Lord, if we've been spending time with Jesus today, it should burst forth in a heart of worship. It should burst forth. I know it's a silly example, but if we'll go to a sporting event right now, we will worship. We'll jump up, we'll clap, we'll high-five each other, it'll be amazing. If they make an incredible shot, we'll scream, Ah, yeah, did you see that? That's awesome. And, 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 oh, you're saying that we could do that at church? We're saying that we could run around and high-five each other? Yeah, be careful, because then if you're sitting here like this, worshiping, and somebody comes and high-five, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? Don't high-five each other. But the point is, a heart devoted is a heart of worship. It's a heart of worship. And there is no one worthy to be worshipped than the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our God. There's no one worthy to be worshipped. This is our chance. But I understand, there's some of you, you worship like this, and that's cool. And some of you worship like this, and you're still worshipping God. And some of you worship like this, and that's okay. The point is, worship. Worship. A heart devoted to God is a heart of worship. So we've got to ask ourselves, how's our worship? How's our worship? How's it going? How are you doing? Well, well, how's your worship? How's your worship? Guys, do you remember when you first got saved? Do you remember when you first got saved years ago? Man, worship was like, oh, you didn't care who was around you. You worship. It was the coolest thing. Man, 
I don't know where we just, sometimes we, we just, ah. Well, we become dignified. We, we're going to worship. But, but those days when you first were in love with Jesus, man, it was like, wow, this is cool. Well, the neighbor thinks you're weird. I know. It's cool. And you turn on the music in the car, in the house, wherever, and you just worship. You just worship. Just worship. Can we bring that back? This is how cool I think it would go down. We're in here. It's a Wednesday night. We're worshiping Eva. We got our hands, and all of a sudden, we're just worshiping that we're in heaven. Like, 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 we don't even know. We're just like, wow, that got, Mel got really good. You know, I was like, and the sound in the stereo and look at that. But, but the point is, is that the Lord came and we're in heaven and we're just really worshiping. And we thought, man, and, and we close our eyes, Yvonne, we close our eyes and we're worshiping. And then we felt like, man, did the church get full? Did the church blow up? What happened? And we're with the angels and we're worshiping God. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? So heart devoted, we learned, is a heart devoted to worship. We talked about a heart devoted. A heart devoted to God often does work with God. You know what that means? That means as the scriptures begin to read you, as the word of God begins to penetrate your heart, because, listen, the word of God is supernatural. It's a love letter to his kids, and it begins to work on you. There's times when you can do nothing but just sit there and do work with God. And you ask those questions. You ask the hard questions. You go, well, what are the hard questions? There's questions that, that you have to ask, Lord, where am I in this? I often ask the Lord, do I do this? Do I do this? And as we begin, we have to do work with God. And what happens is that we come around, time comes up. All right, God bless you guys. Everybody gets up and we forget. But it's, some, it's important to do work with God because a heart devoted to him says, Lord, I'm not leaving here until, we're, until I get this off my chest. Lord, I'm, I'm, and you could think of a hundred different things. Guys, I want a church that does work with God. Because that's where the growth takes place. That's where God begins to reveal all the things in my heart that I probably need to give to him. You see, for me, it's not enough just to confess that and to lift my hands in worship. Growth comes when I allow the scriptures to begin to read me in my life. That's where growth comes. And oftentimes growth comes when, when there's a pruning in my life. Oh, 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 that, Lord, don't take that, don't take that, Lord, Lord, this is what, this, oh, okay. So each week, as I begin to prepare and I start to think, and let me tell you how the week goes, let me tell you how my week goes as a pastor. Um, after I'm done on Wednesday night, I'm already thinking about Sunday. And sometimes I'll go home and I'll get my laptop out and I'll begin to look at the scriptures and, and do that again. 
And as soon as Sunday afternoon comes, I mean, Sunday afternoon, I'm on my recliner and I'm looking at the psalm for Wednesday. And you go, Ben, you have three days, I know. But I really want to hear what God has for us. And so, and so I'll ask the Lord, what, what, do you, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to do this? And, and, and for example, tonight, you know, we're going to spend 10 minutes in prayer with each other. Lord, what do you want might do? There might be times throughout this series, guys, that we have an extended uh, time in song and worship. It might be 30 to 35 minutes. It might be eight songs. I might, I might say, hey, hey, Mel, you better practice eight songs or, or whatever it might be. You understand. I don't know what God wants to do. I just want to be a part of it. I just want to be a part of it. Only us will limit what God wants to do in our lives. Only us. Now, I feel sorry. I know some people are watching online that can't be here, but it's best to be here because you can feel the atmosphere. You can pray that the Holy Spirit will fall upon us. We can have a super time of afterglow and just let the Lord bask in that. We've lost that. We've lost that. Let me let me see if I can explain it to to you. Let me just let me do this. How many of you in here have been married over twenty years? Over twenty years, okay. So twenty, twenty. You get twenty. How many are close to thirty? Been married thirty? Anybody? Okay. Do you remember? You've been married forty-two. Almost 43. That's a good one. Look at <laughs> Mike. What is it, 42? Oh, they got you beat by one year. They got you beat by one year. That's a long time to be married, 42 years. <laughs> I'm going to, if you'll give me a minute. Ben, why do you ask about marriage? Well, here's why. Listen, when you first started dating... You first started. Do you remember when you first started dating? Do you remember? Oh, boom, 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 boom. <gasps> here he comes. Here he comes. Oh, and the, and and here he is. He's you know he's combing his hair. I'm sure 42 years ago you were putting on the brill. You know, is a leather jacket. The, I mean, you know what I'm saying. You were excited to go out. You. I'm telling you, when I first started, and, and, and I've been married 35 years, so I remember talking to Natalie, and, and, and we'd fall asleep with the phone. Now you hang up. No, you hang up. Oh, I love you. And then throughout the years, what happens? You walk out the door and go, hey, I love you, babe. Love you, too. And you walk out the door. Ah, she, Russa, she knows. We've been together. I mean, and we start to lose. We lose that with each other. We miss it. And we begin to take each other for granted a little bit. And then we get old and we think, well, nobody's going to want him. He's old. Here's the point. I don't want to do that with God. You see, when we first got saved, we were so in love with God. And then throughout the years, we sort of got comfortable with God. 
and we sort of got a routine and we're sort of like, yeah, here's my routine. And we forget that he's wanting to just have more. And he doesn't want us to go, hey, God, love you. I'm out the door. I'll see. Walk with me. That's cool. He's saying, no, no, no. You, you've carved out a Wednesday night. You've carved out to come and to receive what I have for you. And so what your heart should be doing right now is saying, God, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? I want all that you have. What do you have for me? I truly believe, guys, if we'll follow this, this will be a game changer for our church. It'll be a game changer. As we come each and every week, please allow me to remind you to tune in to what God wants to say to you. To tune in. You go, what does that mean? Well, I believe you guys need to come ready with, with a book in hand, with the notebooks. What, God, what do you want to say to me? Where, I mean, and it may not ever be anything in the text, but it might be something that I say that you go, Lord, have I drifted from you? Have I? Become ready. Try to forget all the day's activities and all the things that you've got to do tomorrow and all the things that you've got to do on Friday and Saturday and so forth. Try to put those away. Try to, try to okay, Lord, this is your time. And just remember, look around for just a second. Here's what I said last week. The closer you get to God, the enemy will fight you harder for you not to be here. Look around. Remember, people are like, "Mm mm-hmm, and that Wednesday comes, boom. Psalm chapter, Psalm 3. Remember, David is writing this psalm, listen to me, in the midst of a personal storm. If you recall, he was the king of Israel, and he was on the run in fear for his life. He had been betrayed by his son Absalom, and now he's on the run. So I spent some few minutes this afternoon just trying to think what that would be like. Can you imagine with me for just a moment being being betrayed by somebody you love? You go, what do you mean? Well, imagine about being lied about. That someone not only is betraying you, but they're lying about you. Think about this. Think about this. Not only are they lying about you, they're actually gossiping about you. And now you have a whole network and you're going, wait a minute, what did I do? All by somebody you thought loved you. That's heavy. That's heavy. I think if it had been one of David's foes, he'd have been like, Psh, I don't care about that. Go, whatever. This is his boy. This is one of, you know what I'm saying? This is where David held his little boy when he was first boy. Oh, look, this is my boy Absalom. Doesn't he look like dad? You understand. This is Absalom. I'm going to put it in modern day terms, but this is Absalom. Dad, help, help me. Let's play catch, Dad. Oh, my boy. Yeah. No, catch it like this, son. Catch it like this. 
This is my son, Absalom, who's learning to drive. Oh, boy. But that's still my boy. You, you understand. You understand. And now all of a sudden, he, he's turned on dad. I, I try to put myself in David's sandals. I, I want you to for a moment. Put yourself in David's sandals for just a moment. Well, how did this happen? I wonder, I imagine David is rehearsing in his mind. How did this take place? Why am I on the run now? Because of my son. I can't believe this. I, I wonder how I should fix things. In other words, David remembers probably the bad choices he made with his sons. Think about this. I want you to think about the choice. I want you to think about David. Let me take you back in time for just a moment. Let me, let me prelude what, what, how this all transpired, okay? And I'll tell you why. Because David didn't wake up, or Absalom didn't wake up one day and go, you know what, my dad just seems to be cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I'm going to be king. He didn't, he didn't do that. Throughout Absalom's life, he saw something. And I think it's something that we can learn from. You go, what do you mean? Well, over in 2 Samuel, you don't have to turn there. She's going to put it up on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 13, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, now David's son's Absalom, okay, had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin, and Amnon thought, that he could never, ever, 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 ever have her. Is this trippy or what? David has his firstborn as Amnon. Then he has a daughter named Tamar, and she must have been super beautiful. So much so that he goes, I want her. You guys understand the implication. It wasn't like, I want her to come over and we're just going to be brother and sister. He goes, no, 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 I want her. So much so, Rosa, that he was sick. This is what you call lovesick. Or should we call it lust sick? Okay? So what does he do? I mean, here's the story, guys. If you don't know the story, Amnon pretends to be sick. He pretends to be sick. He asked Taylor, could you bring me some food? Well, who do you want to bring? Bring my sister Tamar. I need to see her and she can bring me some food, just some crackers and maybe some chicken soup. He's not sick. He's less sick. He's not sick. So when he comes, she comes in the tent, he tells the servants to get out and he proceeds to rape his half-sister. You understand Amnon just took Tamar's virginity. He either has to marry her or she's going to live almost a widow's life forever. She is never going to be out. She's, I mean, this is it. This is, this is going to ruin her. So what does she say? She says, don't do this. Don't do this, my brother. And he's like, bah, 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 and, and, and then he rapes her. And Tamar now is a broken woman and she's a destroyed woman. And Amnon, in a moment of time and a lack of self-control, destroyed her. The Bible says that she went to live at Absalom's house, desolate. 
It's bad enough that she was raped. She has no life now. She has no life. Over in verse 31 of 2 Samuel 13, it says, When King David heard what happened, he was very angry. Now, guys, look at the dot at the end of that. See the dot? That means that's period. There's no more said about it. He's angry. According to Leviticus 20, verse 17, when David found out the law required him to have executed his son. That's how serious the charge was. You understand that. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. I get it. My son made a mistake. I'm not going to do this. But according to the law, you should have done that. The problem is we're not sure why David didn't do anything. The Bible says he was just angry. He got angry. I can't believe this. But he didn't do anything. Absalom is watching this. He's going, that's that's your daughter, dad. That's my brother. We got to do something. Got to do something. Well, The Bible doesn't tell us, but we discover, well, the Bible does tell us that we discover Absalom takes revenge on Amnon and he has him killed. So he, two years later, he waits two years and then he has his brother killed. But what the Bible doesn't tell us is why Absalom began to betray his dad. Maybe this was the reason. He began to see things and goes, hey, hey. You go, well, Ben, what, what's the point in all this? Well, if you're taking note, I know there are things in our past, whether it was a bad choice, a simple mistake, a slip of the tongue, that I know if we could change, we would. I'm sure David would have said, you know what? Before all this went down, I should have, ch- I should have done something. If you go back a little bit further, I wonder if David right now was questioning, man, I should have raised my kids a little bit better than that. You see, Tamar told her half-brother, listen, if if you just ask my father, he'll give me to you in marriage. But you know what the Bible says? That after Amnon was done, he despised her. So no, it wasn't love. It was lust. It was lack of self-control. So I wonder why, I wonder if David is thinking, man, man, if I could change the past, I would. And I know that's, I mean, we can learn a great lesson from that. You see, we can't change the past. We've all made the mistake where we made a bad choice, a slip of the tongue, a simple mistake, whatever we did. It might have been a whopper, it might be a doozy, whatever it might be, but I know we can't change the past. But we, all we can do is learn from the past and move forward with God. That's all we can do. It'll drive us crazy thinking, well, woulda, coulda, shoulda, if I should, maybe, maybe, oh, yeah.
I don't know the reasons. We don't know the reasons. So I don't want to speculate, but let me tell you what we do know. Absalom is committing treason in the kingdom and has turned the hearts of the people away from David. So what does do? David says, we got to go. We got to go. Let's go, guys. Let's go. Let's go. And so last week we covered verses 1 through 4. Let's read those and then we'll jump into verse 5. He writes this. He's on the run. He's broken, betrayed. And he says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. He writes, guys, right now, this thing has gotten out of hand. Absalom has turned the hearts of the people away. And they're saying this. Oh, there goes David. Even God can't help him. There goes David. God can't help you. How the numbers have increased, gosh, wow. He says, but you, O Lord, what's that? Are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Now, one verse, he's saying, this is a mess. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield. What does a shield do? It protects, doesn't it? It protects. So on Monday, I get to pick up Cordelia. That's my seven-year-old granddaughter. And we basically have a break grandpa day. You know, whatever, whatever money is in my wallet, it's pretty much gone that day. That's basically what it is. It's... But we went to a toy store. And it was a neat, it's, it's just a neat toy store. It's um, on 82nd and um, really great Christian owner there. But they had these shields, and they had these, like, like swords. They weren't real. You could tell. I mean, they were that, like, styrofoam sort of thing, but they were pretty sturdy. And so I got my shield like this, and she got her shield, and we were having a sword fight in the middle of the store. That's pretty cool. But it reminded me the shield was protecting my heart. I, re- I knew that. I had the offense. I had the offense because I'm – I was – you know, trying to slice her up, not... But I had the shield, and then the Lord said, this is, this is what David says, you're a shield about me. You're, shield. you're protecting not only my heart, but my whole life. But I'm so defeated, we cry. And he says, but you know what? You're also the lifter of my head. Yeah, you know what a natural response is? Is when we get when we get busted, or we get depressed, or when we get down. What do we do? We put our head down. When we get defeated, we put our head down, and we literally walk like this. And the the really the picture is that life is so hard that it's just we just can't even lift our heads. And the Lord says, "No, no, no! I'm the lifter of your head." He says, "Hey." Hey, you're not a victim, you're victorious. You see, David, what I'm going to do in your life is going to be for my glory. 
And I think we can take that to our, right? What God wants to do in our lives, guys, what he wants to do is for his glory. It's for his glory. And really, that's how I want it. I don't want to live 80, 90 years and, and have Ben's glory because nobody's going to remember Ben's glory. Nobody's going to remember, well, he lived great. And Listen, listen. Our pastor, Pastor Chuck, man, he preached till the day he died. He almost died from the pulpit that one Sunday, but he preached till the day he's died. We love Pastor Chuck, but he's been gone a long time now, and nobody really remembers Pastor Chuck. We do, but not like, say, I want the glory of the Lord. And I'll tell you why. Let's say the Lord tarries for a hundred years. Nobody's going to remember us. You might be and have a picture in somebody's scrapbook that says, hey, that's, that's my grandpa Soph. He, he lived way back when the world was crazy. I mean, I don't know. But nobody's going to remember him. But you know what they will remember? He lived for Jesus. It wasn't perfect. But, but he loved God. And he led many to Christ. And he helped people. And he, and he pointed people. You guys understand. That's what he, they should say of all of us. That's what they should say of all of us. And so he says, he's the lifter of my head. And I love this in verse 4. He says, I cried out to the Lord with my voice. And he heard me from his holy hill. Don't you just love that? There are many prayers that we think, Joe, many prayers. We think and we can walk and we can pray and we pray silently and we meditate and we're like praying. What are you doing right now? I'm praying. I'm just, but, but I don't have to. But he says, no, no, no. You know what? I cried out to the Lord. And what I love about it is that he heard me. He heard me. He heard me. I think we, we need this in our lives. I think there are times when we meditate and we pray and we pray silently and we pray to ourselves and we think and we know that God hears our thoughts. But I also think there are times when we cry out to the Lord with our voice, Oh God, hear us. Hear us. Here's my concern. Here's my prayer. Here's my brokenness. Here's my dirty heart. Here I am. Do you think David really cried out to the Lord? I think so. I think he really cried. I don't think David was ever ashamed. Well, you know, listen, I'm the king of Israel, and so I'm going to go and thou hast prayest now, okayest? I think he cried with his heart, and that's what I love about David, because, because in the world we're living today, guys, we should be crying out to the Lord even more. God, hear our prayer. God, hear our prayer. I don't think David was worried about how eloquent he was going to speak his prayer 
or if anybody was going to listen. I think he just cried out to God. And I think that's the beauty of prayer. You can just cry out to God, 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 I am a mess. You know it. I know it. I need you. I can't do this anymore, God. I'm a mess. Help me. One of our biggest challenges about prayer is that we tend to pray to impress people. Tonight, I want you to pray as if the Lord Jesus was sitting in the seat. What would you say to him? What would you say to him? If the Lord Jesus came in bodily form right now and we all were on our face, flat waiting, and then we sat right there and he said, okay, tell me what you want. Not a one of us would be, well, well, let me tell you this, my Lord God in heaven and greater. We're just going to just be like, God. What would you pray? Eva, what would you pray if the Lord Jesus was here? Rosa, what would you pray? Mary, what would you pray if he said, what do you want right now? What would you want? Can I go home with you, Lord? Can I go home? Can I go home right now? No, no, Ben, you can't go home. Okay, well. Pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. So David does that. Now, notice the result, okay? Now, I want you to keep in mind, okay, as we jump into our text, David was in crisis mode. You with me? He doesn't know the outcome. He doesn't know what's going to happen. But let me tell you this, and here's my challenge to you. He was so in tune with God that his focus, come on somebody, was not on the problem of Absalom. His focus was on God. How many times do we focus on the problem? We focus on the problem. You know how I know? Because we'll exhaust our resources and we go, maybe we should pray. (laughs) Maybe we should pray. After we try the, oh, what should we do now? Well, let's try praying. David doesn't do that. David says, I'm going to go to the Lord. Look at the result. Look at verse 5, guys. He says, I lay down and I slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. Don't you love that? If you're an underliner, highlighter, that's the verse to underline. Why? Because the first thing he says is, I cried out to God and then I went to sleep. Hello. You go, what? What? This is key. Why? Because I don't know about you, but... I never sleep when I'm going through a crisis or a storm. Sleep leaves me. Sleep seems to be the farthest thing. And even if I try to go to sleep, I'll toss and I'll turn. Even this morning at 5.04 a.m., I thought of something and it woke me up. And I had to get up and drink coffee. But I could have slept for a little bit longer. You know how your brain works, right? I taught, come on, am I the only one or do you do that? I mean, if there's a crisis or something, we toss and we turn, right? I don't know about you, but in my mind, I try to plan. Let's plan this out, okay? I might cry, I might plan, I might pace, I don't know. But I don't sleep. I don't sleep.
Many, 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 many years ago, my daughter, my youngest daughter had turned 18. And she decided to move without letting us know. And I remember she was supposed to be at work. She wasn't at work. She was in another state. And I remember getting the phone call. I didn't know who she was with. I didn't know where she was. As a dad, I totally freaked out. This is my baby. I didn't sleep. If I knew her exact location, I probably would have drove all night to find her. You understand that. I didn't sleep. I tossed and turned, and, and you guys know exactly. You guys know the pain of not sleeping. David says, I cried out to the Lord, and uh, I went to sleep. So you know what I spent the day going? How, how, Lord, how, did, how did David do that, Lord? How did David do that? David gives Absalom and company... To the Lord. Here you go, Lord. It's yours. It's yours. I'm going to go to sleep. You see, sleep was a blessing. Sleep was a blessing. Throughout Scripture, it says sleep is a blessing. So I had to write down in my notes, guys, and maybe you can take this to heart. I put, what in your life are you not giving to the Lord that is truly keeping you up at night? Now, some of us can go to sleep no matter what. <laughs> so some of, you, some of you are asleep right now. No, I'm just kidding. Just, just a joke. Um, but really, what are, we, what are we giving? What are we not giving to the Lord? What are we holding in our heart that's keeping us up? You see, when the scripture begins to read you, then you go, Lord, what am I? What am I not? How can I trust you so much? When the world is crazy. Remember what we talked about on on Sunday. Do we trust the Lord? We trust in the Lord or do we really trust the Lord? That's where we need to be. Lord, here's my problem. Good night. Good night. But David says something. He says, I slept. He says... And I woke up. And to us, we go, well, duh, that's Captain Obvious. But you remember back in this day, a a king didn't sleep if he was being hunted. Because guess when they killed him? When he was asleep. But not David. David's like, I woke up. It was all good. It was good. He said, God is my refuge. I'm going, and then I'm going to go to sleep. And then I I woke up. I woke up. Why? Why? Because notice what he says, guys. I lay down, I slept, I awoke for the Lord. What's that word? Sustain me. Sustain me. If you have a pencil handy, circle that word. Because it means to lean or lay upon, to rest. Okay? To support, to uphold, to sustain. That's what it means. It means to sustain. He says he's going to refresh me. He's going to revive me. He's going, this is where I lay upon. 
I don't know about you, but I pictured, you know how John, the beloved, was always leaning on 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 Jesus's bosom, always? I don't know, I just got the picture from that because he's like, hey, I cried out to the Lord, I went to sleep, I woke up. Why? Because God, I'm always leaning on you. I'm just leaning on you. Don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on God. Lean on God. Verse 6. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Don't you just love that? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. David, what are you doing? He got excited now. At first, he's like, oh, they all hate me. Everybody, you know, what's that song? Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go eat worms. Do you remember that? This is what David's saying. Not now anymore. He's had revival. He says, you know what? I'm not afraid if 10,000 people come. Let's go. Let's go. They've all said, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Now, what we need to understand is David didn't have the Old Testament like we do. We have the Old Testament to guide us. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8.31? He said, what shall we say to these things? If God be for against us, if God be for us, who can be against us? We have that. That's our guide. David didn't have that. How far do we have to lean on God? How far do we have to lean on God so we have that trust? Listen, for David, it was not enough just to survive. David wanted victory. What would your psalm look like? What would your psalm look like? God, I'm just everybody. I don't know. Uh, It's a psalm of Ben. Everybody on Facebook is saying mean things to me, and and I try to erase their comments, but they keep saying, Lord, everyone hates me. I don't know what to do. I think I'm just going to quit. Is that our psalm? You see, I don't want to just survive. I want victory. I want victory. So what does he say? Look at verse 7. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. David's in a crisis. David is in the run. David's messed up. And what does he say? He says, arise. You know what that word arise means? It's a military term. It means get up. Let's go. Get moving. He's asking God, God, let's go. I don't just want to survive in the caves out here. I don't want to just be on the run. I'm ready for victory. I'm ready for victory. Did I fail to mention it's Absalom who's chasing him? Yeah, but God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. Arise. Think of Numbers 10.35. And whenever the ark set out, Moses would shout, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let them flee before you. It's a military term. This is the same word he used. Arise. Let's go. Let's go. Do you see something in David? Something that I pray that you have. You go, what's that? Notice the confidence that David has now. David isn't confident in himself. He's in, his confidence is in the Lord. His confidence is in the Lord God right now. Lord, save me. I know you will. Why? Because you have slapped my enemies in the face. You have shattered their teeth. Sometimes we pray that prayer first, don't we? 
Lord, I'm being persecuted. Bust their teeth, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, don't we? Come on. But he says, no, Lord, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. Victory, victory belongs to you and you alone. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's what he says. Beautiful psalm. Beautiful psalm. Now, as we prepare right now our hearts to be devoted to God, okay, I want to unpack these really quick. Why? Because here's what I want to show you. I want to show you Jesus in the text. Let's look for Jesus. Where's Jesus? Well, first of all, we see him in verse 2, right? When Jesus was on the cross, guess what many said? Not even God can help you. Not even God can help you. Right? There's no help for him in God. Look at him. Many people were mocking my Jesus on the cross saying, hey, get down. If you're the king, get down. If you're, you know what, if you're the king of the Jews or, hey, why don't you save us? I see Jesus in verse 2. I also see him in verse 3. Right? We see the glory of the Lord and the lifter of our heads. Yet God vindicated Jesus lifting up his head. Do you remember that? Could you imagine? Can you imagine what the Roman soldiers did when they saw Jesus come back to life? Wait, we crucified him. No, no. The glory belongs to the Lord. I see Jesus, guys, in verse 6. For he was the one who ventured forward without fear. Do you remember that? For the cross set before him, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He went without fear. Why? He knew what it would mean. What would it mean? It means that Eva would be in my kingdom forever. That's what it means. It would mean that Rosa would be in all of us and Mike and, and Santos and... And I see Jesus, guys, in verse 8. Why? Because Jesus is the only one whom salvation belongs to. The title of my message tonight is Finding Our Strength in God. In the midst of the storms, where do you need to lean? Where do you need to lean? Father, we thank you tonight for your word. I thank you for this beautiful psalm. Prepare our hearts for worship. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.